Let's pray together. Lord, we do need you. Uh, we have been taught all week that we need only ourselves, uh, but that's a lie. Uh, Lord, there is so much outside of our control and our power. Lord, remember that we are but dust, uh, formed and fashioned, uh, Lord, and given breath by you. Uh, Lord God, and we need you this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, many here this morning are suffering physical sickness, illness, disease, uh, struggling emotionally or mentally. Uh, Lord God, dealing with injury. Uh, God, pain, hurt. Uh, Lord, these are reminders that we are not our own rescuers. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. But you, God, are the great healer. And so I pray that as we open your word, Lord, teach us <clears throat> that we might see your truth clearly so that we might believe completely, so that you might act on our behalf. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And today, Lord, through your word, would you create faith in us? Would you help us to think correctly, Lord God, about what it is that you have to teach us from the gospel of Mark, so that we might not walk out of here better educated, but more willing to ask you to rescue us and to save us and to heal us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we get sick? Anytime you get sick, the question usually comes to mind, did I do something wrong? What could I have done to prevent this? Is there some reason why I'm going through this? If you've been sick for any period of time, you simply begin to think, I'll never get better. What hope is there? What future do I have? You start to think to yourself, how can I possibly live with this sickness? How can I function where I'm at? You see, sickness throws our lives into confusion. It creates all sorts of questions that are hard to answer. It takes us out of the normal that we're so used to and throws us into a situation that is unfamiliar to us. That's true whether the sickness is long-term or short-term, whether it's life-threatening or debilitating or simply a hindrance. It's true whether the sickness is a physical sickness, something we're struggling with mentally or emotionally, an injury that we've gone through, whatever it may be, when things in our lives aren't working right, it raises all sorts of questions. The Gospel of Mark was written to help us see life more clearly. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to listen to God's Word and come to understand better some questions that we all have about illness, about sickness, about disease, and about those sorts of struggles. So I invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Mark chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles the church provides, they're in the rack in front of you. They look like this. In those Bibles, it's page 812. Mark chapter 1. Let me tell you while you're turning that the example we're going to look at this morning has to do with a physical sickness. But what I'm going to say has application to mental illness, emotional struggles, 
injuries in sports or whatever it may be, but because the example that we have before us is that of a physical sickness, that's where we're going to be uh, spending our time. Those are the examples that I'm going to be using. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, you may remember if you were here last week, Pastor Tom took us through a passage where Jesus was in a synagogue and he cast out a demon. We pick up the story. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now at first glance, this seems like a pretty straightforward healing story. Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, has a fever. Jesus comes to the house. They tell her, hey, look, she has this fever. She's in bed. She's pretty sick. Jesus goes and he heals her. At first glance, well, that's really great. Jesus doesn't just care about the really, really serious things. I mean, here she's got this fever. He uses his uh, miraculous power to bless her. She then is able to wait on them and care for them and serve them. But there's a couple of features about this story that arrest our attention that make us think there might be some more things going on here. The first is in verse 31. It says Jesus took her hand and helped her up. The next phrase is intriguing. The fever left her. Now that's intriguing because when we're thinking about disease or sickness or illness, We don't tend to use that kind of language. We don't say, my cancer left me. We tend to say things like, I was healed of cancer, or my cancer is in remission. We don't tend to say, my cancer left me. Actually, this word leave, same word that's used in verses 18 and 20 of this chapter, where Peter and Andrew leave their nets, and where James and John leave their dad, it's the kind of thing that active beings do. We come and we go, we pick up our stuff and we leave. It's strange that a fever is doing the leaving. This gets even more strange when we hear Luke's version of this exact same story in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and did what? Rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Again, we don't normally say things like, well, I went to the doctor and he rebuked my cancer. Rebuking is something you do to that which has an active agent, which has willpower, which is able to understand a rebuke. Here Jesus is rebuking a fever. Back in Mark's version, 
after the fever has been rebuked and the fever has left, we're then told that a whole bunch of people lined up and Jesus healed them and cast out demons. Rebuking is language that normally goes with impure spirits. And here, right after he rebukes a fever, we got a line of people that have problems. He heals some and casts out spirits out of others, but we're not really told which is which, and we're meant to see these as having some overlap between the two. They're distinct, but there's some overlap, which raises the all-important question. What is the role of sin and spiritual warfare and demonic oppression and darkness in the physical sicknesses that we all experience? What role does sin and Satan play in our illnesses, in our struggles, in our injuries? This story raises the question, there seems to be some connection between a fever and spiritual warfare. And so this morning, I'd like to talk through that issue and try to answer that question. What is the relationship between sin, Satan, darkness, and spiritual warfare, and the physical illnesses, sicknesses, and diseases we all experience and struggle with? In order to answer that question, we need to do more than just look at this one passage because I would like to give you an answer to that question that helps make sense of all the passages in Scripture that talk about sickness and sin and those sorts of things. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to map this out for us. You have this in your notes. We're going to put it up here on the screen. There is a spectrum when it comes to sickness as to what role spiritual things like sin and demonic forces play in what we experience. And to map this out, I want to take this story, and I'm going to put it sort of right there in the middle of the map. That's Mark 1, Peter's mother-in-law having a fever that Jesus heals. But now to fill out the rest of this map, I have the passages on the screen, Consider John chapter 9. John chapter 9. This too is a story about Jesus. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's our question. What's the relationship between sin and blindness? What's the relationship between Somebody, whether this person or somebody else's sinful choices and the physical problem this man is going through. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So if we take that story and we put it back on the map that we had before, I would put John chapter 9 to the left of Mark 1. In Mark 1, there is some indication we've got something spiritual going on with this fever because the fever's been rebuked, the fever leaves, and Jesus is not only healing people, he's casting out impure spirits, which causes us to think there's some connection. It's not clear exactly what it is. 
But in John chapter 9, it's explicit. There is no connection, no correlation whatsoever between sin and spiritual warfare and what the man is experiencing in his blindness. Jesus has asked this question. His disciples assume there must be some connection. Jesus says, in this case, zero connection. No connection whatsoever. Sin has absolutely nothing to do with the man's blindness. So we're going to put that on our map all the way to the left. Now consider this passage from 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says to him, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So Timothy had some sort of stomach issues. And in the first century, wine was seen as having medicinal uh, properties. And so it was quite common uh, that doctors would prescribe wine uh, to help with stomach problems and those sorts of things. And here... Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, hey, look, you've got a physical sickness. Take some medicine. So if I was going to put that on our map, I would put it slightly to the right of John 9. The reason I've put it slightly to the right is that in 1 Timothy 5, there is not, it's not explicitly said that there's no sin involved or nor spirits involved, but it certainly is implied it would be like Paul saying us to, to us today, you got a headache? Take some Tylenol. There's no indication. He doesn't say to Timothy, okay, well, you need to repent of your sin. He doesn't say to Timothy, well, we got to cast out an impure spirit. He simply says, you're sick. Take some medicine. So again, John 9, it's explicitly stated, zero connection. 1 Timothy 5, there doesn't seem to be much of a connection. It seems to be a purely medical issue that he's going through, and there's a medical solution, which is take some medicine. All right? Next story, Mark chapter 5. We're going to get there in a, a little bit, but let me go through the story with you a little bit this morning. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. If you think health insurance issues are only modern-day issues, this lady spent all her money. Medical care is expensive, and she has exhausted all of her financial resources paying for doctors to try to help her, but look what it says. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now if I'm going to map this one onto our chart here, I'm going to put it to the right of 1 Timothy 5, but not quite as far as Mark 1. There's some indication we've got some level of spiritual things going on because she's been to the doctor over and over again, but things have gotten worse. Plus, it says that when she touches Jesus' cloak, she's immediately healed. But instead of saying that the pain went away, it says that she was freed from suffering. 
the kind of language that makes you think that the suffering is being personified here, that it's somehow holding her captive, which is the kind of language that you would expect if there was some spiritual warfare going on. It's not as much, there's not as many things that might make us think that as in Mark 1, but certainly more than 1 Timothy 5. So Mark 5, we've moved a little bit further to the right. There are at least some questions. Maybe something more is going on here than just medical issues. There might be some sin or some spiritual warfare, but we're not told. Okay, then we have our story in Mark 1. Now consider this story from Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by what? A spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Now, then he has a discussion with some people that are there. And in the middle of the discussion, he says, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Here is a woman who has a physical malady. She's not able to stand up straight. She is uh, crippled over. And Jesus says, look, the source of this physical problem is spiritual. A spirit has held her in bondage. So to put this one on the map, I would put it to the right of Mark 1. In Mark 1, we have some hints that we got some spiritual stuff going on along with the medical stuff. Luke 13, Jesus makes it explicit. A spirit is somehow involved with the fact that her physical body is not functioning the way it's supposed to function. One more story. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he's upset. He's upset about a lot of things. One of the things he's upset about is the fact that when it was time to celebrate communion, when you take the bread and you take the cup, they were not taking it very seriously. They were not considering it to be a holy thing that God had given to them that they needed to take seriously. So Paul writes to them and says... Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat with, and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. For people who take communion and don't stop to realize Jesus is present during this ceremony, and the body of Christ to whom the ceremony has been given, this is an important thing to God. Those who pay no attention to that and simply live their lives however they don't take sin seriously or they're disobedient seriously. Look what Paul says. They're drinking judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now he's not talking about sleeping in church. That's a real issue. But that's not the issue here. Christians, because when we die, we go to heaven, it's often termed in the New Testament falling asleep. What's happening is, is that people are getting sick and are dying, and Paul says it is explicitly because of sin. So if I put that on our map, I would put this all the way to the right. In many cases, 1 Corinthians 11 is the mirror opposite of, of John 9. John 9, Jesus says, 
Zero correlation between sin and sickness. None. 1 Corinthians 11, 100% correlation between sin and sickness. You are sick not because you caught some germs, not because you haven't been sleeping enough at night, not because you're stressed out at work. In 1 Corinthians 11, they are sick for one reason and one reason only. They're sinning. And as a result, they've gotten sick. So, what we have here is a spectrum. All the stories about healing and sickness and sin and spiritual warfare fit somewhere on the spectrum. So to every one of your stories and every one of my stories, every one of our sicknesses, every one of our physical struggles, every one of our mental illness struggles or emotional struggles or injuries that fit somewhere on this spectrum. Which, of course, raises the question, well, where does mine fit? Where does what I'm going through today fit? Well, let me sort of first draw an observation about this, and then I'm going to give you five ways to know where you might be on the spectrum with whatever it is that you are going through physically or mentally or that you're struggling with. The observation is this. What you have up here is a continuum, not discrete points. So you're not trying to think about your sickness or your illness. Am I a John 9 or a 1 Timothy 5 or a Mark 5 or a Mark 1? You and I can be anywhere on the continuum. We can be in between these points. But the major thing to note is, if you start at the left, medical things dominate. Medicine, therapy, diet and exercise, environment, Medical, natural things are dominating the discussion. These seem to be the causes. Genetics, those sorts of things. This man was born blind because God allowed his genetic structure to be such that he was born blind. So at the left side, it's the medical, natural causes that are dominating. And as you move from left to right, those simply decrease in how much they are affecting what's going on. Likewise, if you start all the way at the right, 1 Corinthians 11, it is 100% spiritual. Sin, could also be Satan, darkness, spiritual warfare. 100% spiritual stuff. And as you move to the left, from right to left, those factors diminish. So it's a continuum. Some of us here are dealing with stuff that is purely medical in nature. Some of us here are dealing with physical sickness that is purely spiritual in nature. Most of us are dealing with things that are somewhere in between. And what we want to talk about now is how do you map yourself onto the spectrum? Where is what I'm going through, what I'm struggling with, where do I fit? Well, since we're using medical kind of stuff, let me give you five diagnoses that will help you find where you might be on the spectrum. And we're starting with an assumption. And the assumption is, is most of us, when we get sick, when we get injured, when we have something go wrong, when we're dealing with special needs or whatever it may be, we normally start that it's 100% medical. And that's fine. That's a great place to start. So what these five diagnoses do 
is tell us when it might not be just that. When you might be moving further down the continuum, when spiritual things like sin or spiritual warfare may be more of a factor. Make sense? Number one of these diagnoses comes out of Mark chapter one. I've labeled it church sick. What I mean by that is in our story, it doesn't seem a coincidence to me that Peter's mother-in-law is getting sick right as Jesus is planning to come visit her. You can think about it this way. Jesus is coming to her house and she happens to get sick. The modern correlation is we come to Jesus' house, the church, and get sick. The point is, if in your physical illness it seems to flare up right before you're going to come to church, if you find yourself tired all of the time but it really kicks up right when you're going to come to church, or you're experiencing physical pain that you can't really explain very well, but it flares up right before you're going to start your evangelistic Bible study, or you go through something when you're going to be engaging with God and suddenly the symptoms or the difficulty or the struggle flares up at that time, that's a sign you may be further down the continuum. That there may be more than just medical things going on here. There may be some spiritual stuff that's happening as well. Number two in our diagnoses. The medical community confused. Or doctors stumped. In Mark chapter 5, the woman with this issue of blood has been to see many doctors and they don't know what's wrong with her. That can be a sign that there are some things going on that simply will not show up on an MRI. Or there are some things that are going on that don't fit into the descriptions uh, that the medical community is using. They may be able to diagnose some of the things that are happening, but the more you find that the medical community has not been able to figure out exactly what's going on, makes you think there may be some spiritual stuff happening and you may be further down the continuum. So that's point number two. Number three, prayer makes your situation worse. Now what I don't mean by this is that you prayed for healing and didn't get healed. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you have some sort of physical issue perhaps and you come to the elders for prayer and they pray over you and it gets worse. Or you have all of the ladies in your small group Bible study praying for your sickness and it seems to get worse. It's not a perfect analogy because he's not actually sick. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, there are breaks in his prayers and what we find out is that he prays and then after a cycle of prayer, the spiritual warfare gets worse. He's in more agony, it's more difficult, and if you're in a situation where you've got a physical problem or you've got an emotional issue, or you've got a mental issue that you're dealing with, and the more you're praying about it, the more it flares up, please do not stop pursuing the fact that it might be a spiritual issue. That means push all the more into that. That's a sign there's something going on spiritually. Keep after it, you're further down the spectrum. So if when you pray, it gets worse, that means there's something, we haven't figured it quite out yet, but there's something more spiritual that's happening. Number four, signs of evil. What I mean by this is that if your physical malady or disease or sickness 
is associated with or comes along with irrational fear, irrational anxiety, irrational discouragement, irrational darkness, that means you probably have something not just medical going on, there's also something spiritual happening as well. If when you are diagnosed with cancer, yes, of course, there is fear that goes with that. But if at some point you experience the overwhelming peace of the Holy Spirit, if you experience, you know what, the Lord's in control, every day I gotta ask him for help, I'm scared every day, but I feel his peace, you probably have a situation that's purely medical. If, however, with your diagnosis, there is some form of irrational fear, some form of irrational anxiety that simply will not abate, you probably are further down the spectrum. When the Spirit is present, He brings peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, endurance. If He's being quenched and is not able to exercise those things in the middle of your struggle, that would say we have medical stuff probably going on, but we also have some spiritual things that are going on. And again, you're further down the spectrum. And then diagnosis number five. If you feel a level of conviction, spiritual discernment. In Psalm chapter 32, David says, can I have Psalm 32? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. How did David know that God was punishing him or that he could just feel it? There's a sense if when you think about this sickness, if you, when you think about this physical struggle, you keep thinking about the fact that maybe I'm not supposed to be sleeping with this person I'm sleeping with. If you think about the fact that maybe I'm not supposed to be dating this person that I'm dating. If you think about the fact that you're abusing alcohol. If you think about the fact that you've made God a promise about giving him money and you haven't kept that promise. If those things come to mind in connection with your struggles physically, that would make me think you're further down the spectrum. You've got a spiritual issue going on. On. Likewise, if there's someone in your life who has the gift of discernment, who is able to say, hey, look, I know you've been to the doctor, and I know you've been to the therapist, and I know you're working on diet and exercise and all those things, but have you considered that the fact that bitterness is such a central part of your life, or you're so engaged in being judgmental, that that might be a factor in what you're going through, that would make me think, okay, we probably have some spiritual stuff happening here as well. If you have those five things, or some of those five things, what that tells me and what that should tell you is you're somewhere moving this direction on the continuum. Okay? Well, what do we do with this? After all, the story that we just read is a healing story. It's not a diagnostic story. This is not a story to help us to believe that Jesus can diagnose what's wrong with us. This is a story meant to make us think that he can heal us, that he can help us. What should we do when we are experiencing sickness, disease, illness, etc.? Well, as I've given you five diagnoses, let me give you five treatments. Number one, and this one is good no matter where you are on the spectrum, it's always the number one thing to do, the most important treatment, and it's prayer. 
You see, please don't make this mistake of thinking God's super involved at this end of the spectrum because it says the word spiritual and that God's not very involved over here because it says medical. That's false. The whole spectrum is God's. God is the healer, the man born blind who has no sin in his life whatsoever that's caused this blindness, no spiritual warfare. He is just as miraculously healed by God as anybody else on the chart. God is the one who works through that wine to help Timothy's stomach stop causing him so much problem. So please don't think, well, God's at that end of the spectrum and medicine is at this end of the spectrum. No, God is at the whole, the whole thing. That's why the number one treatment, no matter where you are on the spectrum, even if you can't figure out where you are, is always, always, always prayer. God is the great healer. He heals through medicine. He heals through therapy. He heals through diet and exercise. He heals through casting out difficult spirits. He heals through conviction of sin. He does healing. That's what he does. Jesus died on a cross so that there would be no medical, no spiritual, no nothing that would be beyond God's ability to help us. One of the ways you can see how pervasive prayer is as a solution for medical issues, I'm sorry, physical issues, James chapter 5. We say this when we have people come for a prayer with the elders, but look carefully at what it says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. That's a pretty much catch-all. Anything's not great, pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. But wait a second, what if it's a result of sin? Well, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer casts out demons. Prayer brings forgiveness. Prayer causes medical healing. No matter what situation you're in, prayer covers it. And if you can't find yourself on the spectrum, if you pray, you're going to be okay. If it's a sin-related issue, prayer can deal with that. If it's a spiritual warfare issue, prayer can deal with that. If it's a purely medical, natural issue, prayer can deal with that. So the number one, by far, most important treatment is prayer. Number two, if you find yourself to the left end of the spectrum, seek medical help. This is a gift from God, the medical community. Go to your therapist. Do diet and exercise. Go get out of the winter for a week in the middle of winter to be able to get some sun so that you feel better. If you've diagnosed the issue as being a medical issue, seek medical help. It's a gift from the Lord. And if the Lord chooses not to bring relief or healing through the medical means, ask him what he is doing and praise him for the grace that he's given you to deal with this. But if you find yourself further to the left, well, involvement. And look, until you get all the way over here, there's always a role for medical kinds of things. There's always a role potentially for counseling or a role for diet and exercise or a role for environment. It may diminish as you come this direction, but use those things. They're gifts from the Lord. Okay, three, four, and five have to do with what if you find yourself further down the spectrum. 
okay? So two is really, one is about all of it. Two is more towards the medical side. Three, four, and five are more towards the spiritual side. Number three, confession. If you've promised God some money and you haven't given him that money, tell him you're sorry. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. If you have been stabbing somebody in the back without them knowing, confess that sin to them and apologize to them and stop doing that. If you have been abusing alcohol, stop doing it. If pornography is a central part of your life and you're like, I can't figure out why I have all these physical problems, I will tell you why you have all of those physical problems. There may be some medical stuff going on, but I guarantee you that the pornography is also contributing to the struggle. Confess it. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. Number four. Engage the spiritual disciplines. What we mean by that is fast. Ask God for discernment. Pray. Read his word. Memorize scripture. Especially as you find yourself towards that. And if you get up in the morning on Sunday morning and all of a sudden your chronic fatigue has really flared up, I would get out my Bible, I would open it up, and I would read it aloud, and I would ask for God to use his word to bring blessing and strength for me to be able to go forward and do the thing he's asking me to do. Likewise, another spiritual discipline, submit to accountability for some spiritual mentor. I find it very powerful that Paul knows the difference between Timothy's sickness and the sickness of the people in the church in Corinth. There are people who are godly and mature and discerning who can come alongside and say to you, hey look, I know what a sickness that is being caused by illness. Use the medicine. That sickness over there is being caused by sin. Confess it. It's a real blessing. It's a great blessing to have somebody who's not in your situation look at the situation and say, hey, you know what? I've been praying for you for a long time, and I just can't get out of my head. There's something dark or something spiritual going on in this situation, and I don't think you've done enough to think about that. Number five, finally, Ask for deliverance. The worst thing to do with this story today is to think this is a nice history lesson. Jesus is telling us this story today so that you and I might know he is a God who heals. He is a God who delivers. He is a God who sets people free, not just 2,000 years ago in one special case with one fever, he is a God who sets people free from darkness, who forgives their sins, who gives them freedom from the things that they are struggling with. And the point is, ask him for it. Ask him to set you free. He died on that cross so that all authority in heaven and earth is his. He can command any spirit. He can forgive any sin. He can heal any disease. And the point is, ask him. How do I do that? Well, when Jesus was physically present on the earth, you just simply went to visit him. You touched his cloak. You asked for healing. You got in line. How do you do it today? Well, you go find his body today. Well, where is his body? It's right here. Amen. And this is why we say, look, our elders pray over people in accordance with John, James chapter 5. There's, no, there's information about your notes. If you need that, let the elders do what we've been commanded by Jesus to do. We've been given authority not because of any holiness, but because this is how we set the system up. Submit to that authority. Let the elders pray over you and ask God for healing. 
If there is darkness in your life, ask people to pray over you for healing, for deliverance in the name of Jesus. Not to close this morning. I don't want you to think that this is just, this has been a teaching sermon, and I don't want you to leave here academically informed about a map and diagnosis and treatment. I want you to leave here knowing that our God is a healing God. And so I want you to listen to a testimony from Sarah Heaton, who's one of the members of our congregation, and she wants to share with you, I want her to share with you her story. Come on, Sarah. Come tell us what God's done in your life. Hello. As a child, I was deeply wounded. I was physically, verbally, and sexually abused. I grew up not knowing who I was, thinking that I was only good for one thing, thinking I could not say no, that I was not worth being more than the garbage dump that I believed that I was. I knew God as a child, however, I did not want anything to do with God as I blamed him for what happened to me and I couldn't see how a good God would not stop these things from happening. I got involved in drugs, drinking, sex, stealing, lying, manipulating, rebelling, and anything else harmful I could do. I began to cut myself, I attempted suicide multiple times, and I tried to inflict as much pain as possible on myself and anyone who happened to get in my way as a result of how I felt on the inside. I was spiritually dead. I wanted nothing to do with God. I set out to do the exact opposite of what God would have wanted me to do. I was basically living for Satan and the kingdom of darkness and was totally okay with doing his work. This brought about a lot of demonic influence in my life. I began to have health problems. My body was rotting from the inside out. I had a spirit of death attached to me, but I had no idea. I went to doctor after doctor, counselor after counselor, with no success. I had yet to invite Jesus into my life, and I had turned to the world for deliverance. No one could figure out what was wrong. Eventually, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I wish I could say my life dramatically changed then, but I still had a lot of old habits and faulty beliefs. I also had a lot of bondage, and I still struggled as I had not fully surrendered my life to him. Over a 15-year period, my body shut down, one system after another. I had 13 doctors. I wound up on 37 daily medications, which totaled over 100 pills a day, and I had 54 things diagnosed wrong with me. I had to get blood transfusions, have multiple surgeries and medical procedures, and so much more just to stay alive. Yet I still had not dealt with the root of my problems, which were all spiritual. I had hit bottom and was desperate. Nothing the world had to offer me had worked. I was still a complete mess. The Lord began to work on me slowly. He brought me to a single doctor that would help me work through a lot of the medical issues. He instantaneously healed me of several medical issues. He brought me to set free where we got to the root of the issues. There the Lord healed me and delivered me from the demons that had kept me sick and bound in chains for so long. He showed me how to close the doors that I had opened to Satan and keep them closed. Now the only open doors in my life are to the Lord. So I'm here today. I take zero medications. I have zero things diagnosed wrong with me. So as the scriptures say, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed.